This is episode number 335. How can endurance sports fuel success in business and personal life? With Katie Spots. Welcome. My name is Oleg Lokid, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who've overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your false potential. Before we get into today's episode, I would like to make a few quick announcements. The first one announcement being an invitation to all of our listeners to our upcoming three-day event in Austin, Texas from October 7th to October 9th called Survive to Thrive, Face Your Fears. What this is, is a three-day experience where you'll get a chance to hear stories from speakers from all over the world, as well as be a part of breakout sessions that are intended to help you identify your fears and ways to transform them into strengths. If you would like to know more details regarding this particular event, please consider visiting our website at overcomingodds.today where you'll be able to find the latest details. The second announcement that I wanted to make is in regard to our show, and that is if our show has had any form of impact in your life, please consider supporting our cause by either making a contribution through our website at overcomingodds.today or leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google, so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. Now, let's get back to the show. So I was reading your bio, as I mentioned to you earlier, and uh, it's, it's mind-blowing. I, I don't even know where to begin. Well, maybe I do know where to begin. You, you kind of gave me that, and that's on a bench and observing, and the different things that uh, 11 ultramarathons for 11 consecutive days I actually met another person like you. His name is uh, Luke Tabirski. Okay. He's done similar things like that where he ran marathons with like a full-blown backpack across the Sahara Desert and just... Oh, that's awesome. Um, also did an open water swim, but I think you took it to a different <laughs> level. <laughs> 70 days at sea. I, obviously, there is a book that describes your story, but kind of a firsthand perspective. What is that even like? I mean, that is a long time to be by yourself. Yes. So I set off on a row for water. That was the name of the event. And it was a solo row across the Atlantic ocean, 70 days alone at sea, no follow boat, no helicopter. And so, I mean, before that journey, the most I had spent alone is maybe a day or two. So to jump from a few days to a few months was a huge leap of faith, but I experienced everything you would imagine at sea with um, 20 foot waves and sea turtles and dolphins and shooting stars and close calls with oncoming freighters. I had fires, I had sleep deprivation, um, and uh, salt sores and all all the things that you would expect. But really it it left me with a greater appreciation for what we are capable of. And um, if you, you know, if I go to the doctor and do any kind of 
testing, my body is not, you know, any different than than most people's bodies. So there's no, you know, freak show of endurance. It's just the mindset of wanting to um, overcome challenges and see what what's what's human possible, what is humanly possible, what's the limit, and that's something that. I did do team sports growing up and you win, you lose, you tie. Right. And for me, that's, what's really exciting about endurance is that you're constantly finding out what's the limit. And that, that just, I mean, I'm, I'm very driven by curiosity. Um, I've done like the marathon and then I was curious to see if I could do an ultra marathon. And then it was, you know, a hundred miles and a hundred plus miles. And, um, ultra marathons day after day after day. So I think, you know, if you asked any of my, uh, you know, sports coaches growing up, if they would have expected this from me, it would have been no, absolutely not. Because in team sports, I was really, um, physically there, but mentally I wasn't really checked into the game. I was, you know, picking dandelions and baseball as a kid and just not really, um, competitive in that way. And did you even expect this from yourself? What did you envision your life being when you were a kid? Like <laughs> any of these things? Um, the only thing that I was like, wow, that's cool. I want to do that is being a bicycle messenger. Like when I found out that you, there were, there was like a documentary about bicycle messengers in New York city. And I thought that was just really exciting to I don't know, find your way around the city and race around and be outside all day. And um, I, I am in the Coast Guard. I'm active duty as a, a, a logistics officer. So um, that did have some fitness uh, components that drew me to the service. But yeah, as a kid, that was, that was really it. Um, and then as I grew up, other things, you know, interested me other than riding my bicycle why the coast guard um so i a huge part of the journey through endurance is about giving back so all of the endurance challenges are uh to help people get clean water so i've always loved loved kind of you know giving back and and helping others and um i appreciate the military lifestyle. And, um, I wanted to do something that would challenge myself and, um, push myself and, um, meet new people. And every day is a different day in the Coast Guard. You never really know what's going to land on your desk or where you're going to go. And I like, I like all of those parts of being in the Coast Guard for sure. I've always been curious, especially when it comes to people like you, well, a, I've never really had a conversation with someone who has had the number of experiences that you have. I've had conversations with people of different walks of life. And I'm curious, just from your lens, being in Coast Guard, pursuing some of these activities like ultramarathons, swimming across open water, and doing things that probably most people are not going to do over the course of their lifetime, does that prevent you from experiencing some of the other things in life, like building a family, having kids? And if so, do you regret some of the things that you choose to dedicate a lot of your time in life to? 
in comparison in comparison to some of the other things that you might be able to experience like what is what yeah. is life at the end of the day for you what what is the not necessarily the ultimate thing that you're striving for but do you feel like the things that you're doing it's complete or is there a piece that's missing well i would say so i'm in my 30s now and in my 20s i think my approach to endurance was a little unhealthy like i i placed my identity into it and it's hard to enjoy mm -hmm. something if your worth depends on it and through faith and becoming a christian i've learned how to um do endurance without it being my source and the foundation from which my you know life is i mean all you need is one injury and what, who are you now and so um faith has definitely given me uh, a, a more stable grounding and i know that you know okay so the decision to row across the atlantic i tried to talk myself out of it i wasn't you know the last american woman to try it she it took her three attempts and she was an olympic rower and i'm the next american woman to try this solo so i didn't even ask her for advice because she'd probably be like yeah don't do that and so i the what only you, reason what was not that? to not to interrupt you what did you have to come to terms with before even making a decision like that because that's a very much life and or death scenario yes, right yes, exactly so I mean, that was that was the biggest thing. Like, I am making a decision to do something where I'm putting my everything on the line. I I could you know die doing this, and and I knew that if I didn't do the row, I would have spent the rest of my life wondering why. And it was kind of like this awareness that you can't actually outrun your fears. Um, so say you're afraid of doing this scary thing so you just don't do it but then you're running right into um regret so then you, you know you're left with that and to me spending decades with this nagging in the back of my head of like what would have my life had would it have been if i would have done the thing i felt called to do so i had to come to terms with um you know what pick your poison. Like, do, do you want to spend? And sometimes that moment doesn't come for days or weeks or months, or maybe even till your deathbed where you're like, wow, I, I regret. And I think regret is the hardest thing that you can ever, you know, for, for me, that would be the hardest thing for me to internalize. Like I lived a life that fell short of the life that I was intended to live. And I think when people, you know, do dangerous things, they do accept that I would not rather die doing anything else but this. That's how it's passion driven and it's calling driven. And so I, I definitely had to get in touch and in tune with what what is bringing me here. Why am I like, what is my motivation? And it was just really a, a plain and simple as a calling. And you know, other people can define that in their own way. But for me, what a calling feels like is, um, you know, what do you daydream about? What do you wonder about? What do you get curious about? What, what, what sparks joy? What brings you alive? And so the row and all these challenges do that. And so I guess the grass is greener kind of mentality, it, it exists no matter what you do. And so I, 
I, I just look at these challenges and look at the path of my life with a lot of gratitude, knowing that, I mean, I get messages from people saying, I, I wish I could and this and that. And so I know that, you know, it is, there is some suffering and challenges that go along with these, but when it's your choice to, it's like, I don't know, it's, it's, um, the joy of it. I mean, the joy, the privilege, the opportunity to do stuff that some people might never have the opportunity to do is, is just a huge blessing. So I don't really feel like I'm missing out. Um, I guess the, the real thing that I'm feeling now is females usually do peak and endurance in their thirties, especially if I spent my twenties and so thirties, sometimes forties. And so I am planning on um, uh, retiring from the Coast Guard and getting back into endurance challenges like full time and just, you know, pushing my body to the limit and doing it now when my recovery is really good. And um, yeah, just have a lot of energy to move. So that's kind of the thing that I'm feeling the most. When did religion become an active part of your life? Or was, is, um, is that a backbone as far as like things that give you opportunities amidst uh, adversity or different ways to look at certain things? Or you mentioned calling, like figuring that out as well. Yeah. So I did, I have done a lot of um, different endurance. So it's rowing, cycling, swimming, running, even some rollerblading recently. And no um, yeah, I love rollerblading. That's like, if, if the roads were like really nice and not too hilly, I would do that. Like, <laughs> I, you the know, better question is, is there something that you wouldn't do at this point? <laughs> that is a very good question because I, I did tear my ACL and M uh, MCL during one of my adventures. I mean, this is part of the territory. If you do and move your body enough, you might fall and get in accidents. And so I am in the process of going through physical therapy. And so I switched from all cardio to weights. And so I've been training for the Navy SEAL fitness test for the, the stuff that I could do. And so I, my PT is like, we're going to get you back running, doing all those ultras. And I'm like, I like weights. I don't <laughs> He's like, no, you're running. We don't work all, you know, work for months just for you to become a, you know, a weight, weight woman. So I do even enjoy, that is something that has surprised me through ACL surgery. And, um, you know, so now I'm, I'm doing more fun things like, you know, the Navy SEAL thing and wanting to do a handstand walk and just kind of play playful exploration of going from, I can't do to, I can doing the splits, doing, I mean, all the things that our bodies could do if we just gave it a little bit of time and patience. And it's nice to go from beginner to, I wouldn't say expert, just like capable, beginner to capable. Um, and I think with endurance, because I've been doing it for over a decade, I'm not going to experience as much of a transformation as I would from starting from zero and just, you know, trying something new. So I will not hike Mount Everest. That is one that I, the line I've never wanted to, I hate the feeling of like carrying a heavy pack, your, your movement, like rollerblading, you're free, the air cycling, you get the air. Like you're just, to me, it's equivalent of just like wearing a fat suit and going for a walk. Like it doesn't, 
maybe rock climbing, but hiking never felt like thrilling at all. Like, um, and it feels boring to me. And I know you could get more technical and, but I think a lot of the endurance is like you, you, you feel a certain way in your body. And there's and a rush. I, yeah. Yeah. You just, yeah. Freedom of movement. And I just feel too restricted and, um, I don't feel strong. I just feel, yeah, weighted, weighted down and sluggish. I did a hike from Lisbon to Spain. I think it was three weeks, three weeks long. Yeah. Every single day, like 20, 25 mile hikes. I just, uh, so I I did this trip. This was seven to eight months ago, maybe nine months ago, where I went around the world, uh, three different continents, places I've never been to just to experience what it was like. Yeah. And I remember arriving in Portugal and you and I, I think, have a similar personality when it comes to this, where you, you stay in something or you do something long enough. And then after a while, you're like, okay, I got to do something next. Yep. Yeah. I got to do, I got to add something to this. So I spent the first week in Lisbon. And then I heard some people doing this trail called the Camino. Yeah. No, de Santiago, where they walked to Spain from parts of France or parts of Portugal. And I was so unprepared. Like, I didn't know. I just literally had a map. I had my backpack and I had this belief in me that, like, whatever comes my way, I'll find a way. And I just started walking. And the first walk, the first day I ended up walking nine, 10 miles longer than expected because oh, nice. you stayed at these places called alberquis along the way, which are hostel equivalent. But the challenge of them is that most of them didn't have a website or a way to contact them in advance to see oh, if wow. they're open. Yeah. So, you know, talk about like just having faith in the fact that you better hope it's open. Otherwise you're sleeping on the street or a bus stop, wherever it was. But for me, I find hiking to be one of the more rewarding activities and solely because it just gives me a chance to reflect and process and to just experience life on a different level. Like I remember day five of walking, I all of a sudden missed home. I I just broke down in tears, like missing my dog, missing my parents, missing my close friends. And then it just made me dig deeper. Like, why do you miss them? What do they mean Mm. to you? And, And I think that's one of the challenges I've experienced throughout my own journey is that living in US, the pace of life is so much higher than a lot of the other parts of the world. Uh And so you really intentionally have to create these moments to slow down, to remind yourself who helped me get here. Why am Mm -hmm. I even here? And think about how many people have been asked that question, right? Instead of just going from one activity to the next and to the next and to the next. And that was the thing that I was curious to hear from you as you complete some of these things it sounds like you do take the time to intentionally slow down and process what you just went through. Yeah. Books and all these things that are written, but is that something that clicked halfway through the journey or were you just fortunate to have that perception and perspective at the very beginning of it? So I think being more wired for excitement, um, I've never been the one to have the list. Like I want to do this and that and this and that. And 
part of that would feel almost like work or feel like um, a to-do when, it, it, to me, I wouldn't have been able to run an ultra marathon without the marathon. I wouldn't have been able to bike across America if I did the marathon because like every little thing builds up. And so um, I, every challenge gave me the confidence to take the next challenge, but without that challenge, I wouldn't have had that confidence. And so I, I think it's almost like an awakening thing that happens a day, a week, a month after an event where it's like, I never thought I could do that. Now, what are all the other things that I thought I couldn't do? And so I, I can't imagine doing something without the confidence of successfully doing the smaller thing. So um, I guess that's kind of the, the, the way. And so that's why there are gaps and there is time uh, between one and the other, because I, I mean, I, I guess knowing what it takes to do these things, even with my ACL surgery and recovery, I'm like, oh, so this is what like it would be like if I wasn't training all weekend. Like, oh, this is what people do on the weekends. And so it is good. It is definitely good to have that downtime so that when it is time to go into training mode, you're fresh, not just physically, but mentally. And you have that drive and desire where it's coming out of an overflow of joy rather than like, I have to do this thing because I said I would, or because um, you know, my identity is this or whatever you're, you know, there's a lot of fear-based ways to do everything. And so I think that is important to know what, what, what's drawing you towards things. How do you personally understand what that feeling is of you have what it takes? What is that thing? Is that so, a feeling? Is that accumulation yeah. of previous experiences? Like, so, um, there is this saying, whether you think you can or can't, you're right or whatever. And I totally disagree. Um, I have run hundred mile races or longer, and I've done them enough to know that no one is guaranteed success on a hundred mile run. And even I've done multiple Ironmans and I go into everyone being like, it might work. It might not work. And, and there's just so many things that have to go right. Nutrition wise and, you know, just your pacing and getting in an accident or so like, I have so much respect for endurance that I don't think I'll ever get to the place where I was like, I got that. And I think that is what is, you know, you sometimes there's this pressure where we feel like we need to actually be confident. No, we don't. We just need to try. We don't need to feel like we can. We just need to try. And so I mean, even before running 11 ultras in 11 days, my post was, this is going to be, you know, an amazing journey or a a catastrophe, like let's find out together. And so um, I think having humility and knowing that no one is guaranteed success in endurance and our bodies are changing and um, just having the, the respect for what you're asking your body to do. And so I, I don't think I, I necessarily have confidence, but I have curiosity and I don't really care if I fail. Like to me, failure, I don't, I don't, um, I guess internalize it or to make it personal. Like every success is on like 
failure leads to success and there is no success without it, like the learning and it, you know, the biggest failure is not to try at all. So as long as you're trying, you're succeeding. And so I think, you know, a lot of times the scariest thing is, is, is not actually doing the hard thing, but failing while doing the hard thing. Like, you know, you could take that and, you know, be hard on yourself or beat yourself up or feel defeated and feel unmotivated. And, um, I think being good at failing is a very good quality. Yeah. Well, I personally, I've had many different people who have come into my life that helped me reframe this perspective. And yeah. now I, I genuinely don't believe I fail. I believe yeah. I learn. Yeah. And I think exactly. that's the, and, and it's not necessarily that I don't acknowledge the other part. I just choose to look at it differently. And I think that there are so many different ways to look at what does it actually mean to fail, right? Yeah. That I don't think it makes one definition any more right than the one next to yeah. it. And so, so I think it's just really like a, ma a matter of mindset. Yeah. I'm curious, since you asked about the question, what do I feel like I'm missing out on certain things because of doing these challenges and events is that something that you've experienced like how you said you're missing friends and family or where i don't i don't know if i've per, i mean elements of it i've experienced elements of it one of the things that i have had to not had to one of the things that i chose to do in the recent five to ten years is go on a personal journey of my own and really try and understand what is the life that I want to create compared to the life that other people want me to live? I see. And I think there's a huge difference between the two when it comes to societal expectations, having kids at a certain point, starting a family, buying a house, getting a dog, getting a car, blah, blah, blah. And I was just curious, considering your age and my age as well, I'm months away from being 30. And it's like, I'm understanding that there's all these things that carry with particular age groups. And I find that the only way to really reframe them is to A, become aware of them and then have it as a conversation. What do you want? Do these things align with how you want to live life? And so I was just curious, having taken a completely different path than I think most or whatever the number of people looks like, do, do you feel like you miss those things in your life or if so, how do you actually deal with societal expectations to begin with? Um, if I put that as like my main priority, I wouldn't have done any of those things because everyone's going to say something. And I, I everyone I'm, truly does have an opinion. <laughs> that is one, that's one thing that I've learned to this point. My, my uncle, my late uncle said it best. He said, Opinions are like assholes. Everyone has one. I yeah. Like, that is so profound. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, truthfully, you're the only one, you know, who's going to live your life. And so what does that matter? I, I think I had a kind of maybe rude awakening to not caring about what people say when I got in a big boat accident on Lake Erie three months before my journey and had a lot of pushback and 
you know, people saying, well, if you can't row Lake Erie, why do you think you could row the Atlantic? And even in the New York Times, there was something about how, you know, check her out. She's unlikely to make it. She's not a man and doesn't look burly like they do, but she's going to try anyways. And so that was, that was probably a really heavy moment for me because uh, it just felt like the world was, you know, not in support, but I know what matters to me and at the end of the day it's people getting clean water a billion people nearly a billion don't have clean water yeah, it's, it's a problem that have you, has been, have you been to i know you've been to tanzania uganda i'm yes. assuming you spent some time there personally yes yeah i visited water projects in uh kenya south africa india um I'm trying to think where else, but I have been able to help build some of the projects too. And I, I mean, when you see that people are dying from a problem yes. that has solutions, like we have technology to fix that problem. And I think Matt Damon said it best when he had a documentary, he's very involved with water charities. And he said, imagine right now that we had the, the, the cure for all childhood cancers, like, and then in 50 years, there's still millions of kids dying from childhood cancers that we couldn't even imagine it. We have a solution. There are ways they're cost-effective. And so, I, I mean, who cares what people say when you know that what you're doing is helping people get clean water and no one's going to argue against people having clean water. I mean, if yeah. you don't think it's important, then stop drinking clean water. Like I, everyone knows we need it. It's like yeah. the most basic thing we can't, we don't always agree on everything, but I think we can all agree clean water uh, should be accessible to every human. And I mean, people are drinking water. We wouldn't let our pets drink. It's, it's true. It's um, very true. It's my, yeah, it is. And um, once I learned about it, I was, I mean, I went through my phases of like anger and like, what, what do you mean? This many people are without water. That's crazy. We have airplanes. We have this, we have that. And so um, you know, I went through that and then just hope because there are so many charities out there. And I think, you know, charities are getting better about it, but they, there's a lot with showing the impact. Like you can see where it is on the map. You can see the GPS coordinates, you can see pictures. And so that's also very encouraging where you can know what your impact is doing, who it's actually helping. And, um, you know, there's even, tracking on these units now where a decade ago they didn't have things like that so it's um you know it's building trust that people know that their money is going towards a good thing i lived in ghana during oh, okay. my travel for a month and a half uh that was an experience of its own but i met this this person on linkedin literally a week before i left and i just took a chance went in there lived with him in the village so I, I'm completely with you. Clean water there, I mean, it was essential. Like, yeah. Once, luckily, I've trained myself and had enough of a childhood experience where I kind of had to adapt and learn how to adapt to the circumstances where things like not having clean tap water or having to use a bucket to flush your toilet or bucket as a form of shower. Yeah. It, to, for, to me, I didn't really mind. But I just remember sharing some of these stories with some of the people from back home. And they were like, what do you mean you had to do that? What do you mean you didn't have clean water? And they was just like, yeah, that's just, 
the things that you have are not the things that everyone else has. Yeah. And I think you're absolutely right. I don't, I don't really know personally what prevents us from being able to cure some of these things like cancer or clean water. It seems that there are solutions there. I, I just, I don't know enough about it. I don't know if it's become too much of a business or industries would be impacted. Like who knows really what's behind it all. Yeah. I mean, at the core, it's a lack of funding, but then there are also, you know, there are effective solutions, but they also require ongoing maintenance. And so sometimes there are political things, but I, I definitely believe it's within our capabilities when you think that we can put people in outer space, like yeah. we, can do, we can do stuff. We can definitely do that one. So, uh, yeah. I'm reading this book right now. It's about, um, what is it? Uh, Stumbling upon happiness. And oh, cool. one of the, th- one of the things that they talk about is the fascination that humans have with what's next. Ooh. And I think space, I think what you're doing, what I'm doing, what many of the people who listen to this do is that thing, what's next. And in fact, one of the, uh, one of the points that the author claims in the book is humans are the only species who think about the future, who think about what's next. And in a way, it kind of makes sense. I mean, I was even thinking about it this morning. You know, I walked out of my house to go for a walk and I was just constantly thinking about meeting, speaking, podcasts, all these different things. And then I was reminded that, okay, you got to slow down and smell the roses. You got to slow yeah. down and take a breath of fresh air because the only thing that is guaranteed is this moment right now. Like the next one, I mean, it's, I don't even know what it is, right? Yeah, it may sure. or may not exist. And I'm wondering in your case and the different things, and I know you mentioned gratitude and appreciation play a big role in that, but do you ever find yourself getting caught up in the moment as well? thinking of what's next? Yeah, I, with a lot of these endurance challenges, especially the row, because that was so low, one of the biggest tools that I, I guess, added to the whole plan or was, was meditation. And so I have done and I do. Did you um, do that while rowing? No, no. It was like, it's called Vipassana and there's oh, yes. 10 day mm-hmm. retreats. You meditate 12 hours a day and there's no reading, writing, no, I mean, you're with a group of other people, but even eye contact is a form of communication. And so um, you have to have your eyes gazed and it's, you're in noble silence. And so that in some ways was more difficult than the row in certain elements, because it's like you have music, you have nature, you have, you know, whatever distractions you have entertainment. And so, um, that was helpful for me because it, it kind of gives you a baseline of understanding of how it feels when your mind is calm and settled. And I've even done some like neurofeedback, which I love. And it's like, you listen to this tape and have sensors all over your brain. And I don't know what's happening, but when I'm done with it, (laughs) I feel like it's like you feel very calm and alert at the same time, like sharp, but calm. And, and, um, I've found those sessions to be really helpful whenever I, 
I can do those, which they're there. It's hard to find people who actually do neurofeedback, yeah. at least, especially in the Coast Guard. They're very picky about certain providers and that kind of thing. But yeah, I mean, incorporating that is certainly helpful. And um, one of those, you know, habits uh, that I think would be beneficial for most people is incorporating more meditation. So you, um, yeah, I, it's just funny because sometimes, sometimes it's like, well, all I hear is my to-do list. And I'm like, well, are you aware that you're thinking? And then that's meditation. Like, it's not, it's not that you don't think you're just, you know what I mean? Aware and you're watching without grabbing or attaching just like little clouds. And so, um, I have done some other retreats out in California. There's a Zen teacher called Sherry Huber, and she has a lot of um, retreats that I found really helpful and a lot of cool books too. Mm. Can you briefly describe what the journey was like rowing? I know there's a book and I could probably read the book, but just right now in the time being, I it wouldn't serve me to multitask to read the book and then talk to you. Yeah. So when you, when you were rowing, what was that even like? What was the day-to-day? What yeah. was the day when you hit the waves or it sounds like almost hit some boats, cargo ships? Yeah. Like, yep. Yeah, so during the row, I, I joke around when people are like, how do you stay so motivated? I'm like- You must have listened to a lot of audiobooks. Is that I, possible? I did bring audiobooks, but it actually was kind of loud out there, like with the waves and- um, I mean, I was exposed to the elements. It wasn't like I was covered. And so either the waves and the wind, I mean, I couldn't really hear so as well. Um, at night, my treat would be to listen to comedians, but for the most part, it was music. Um, but it was pretty basic. I mean, there's not much more to do on a rowboat, but row. So I would row 10 to 12 hours a day. I would go in about two hour shifts. At one point I did put together a schedule like, oh, I'm gonna learn Spanish at this time. And, and that did not last at all. Like, <laughs> no, my brain is jelly, I'm, my body is fried, I am a zombie. So um, sleeping <laughs> was definitely really difficult on that boat. I slept in a cabin, but so yeah, rowing, eating, sometimes I would jump into the water to scrub the barnacles. You actually slept on the water. I, my, I would jump into the water just for cleaning the boat, but no, I was in the cabin, but, but yeah. still like floating. Yeah. Actively yeah. I was floating, floating out around there. out there. Man. You know, I did a speech once. And one of the questions from like kids, I love when kids like, you know, and their young minds think of these things, but one person was like, um, ma'am, um, was it like sleeping on a waterbed out there <laughs> on the ocean? <laughs> I'm like, I never have slept in a waterbed, but I'm sure it, it might be pretty similar. Um, but yeah, so I cooked everything by having freeze-dried meals. I had a jet boil that would, I would add boiling water to these freeze-dried meals. I had solar panels that powered all the electronics and um, I did blogging. So I did have, um, Twitter and was doing some blog posts so people were able to follow along. Uh, one of the 70 days, I did decide I would rather watch uh, Harry Potter movies on my iPod and uh, eat chocolate. So I guess I could have ended in 69 days and 
instead of 70. But I think the most terrifying was humans. I mean, even in the middle of an ocean, even if you're not going to be seeing them much, um, there was a boat that could have potentially been pirates because they were out there illegally. And I mean, that was a choice I made beforehand to not have a gun, but I mean, they, they, you're, it's illegal to be out there without a radar. They didn't have a radar. So who knows what they were up to. And then close calls with freighters. What were you going to do? What were you going to do if that situation were to happen? Flares. Yeah. But you only have what, how many of those? I'm not sure, but that was, I mean, I had knives and things like that too, but not, um, I think. Did you take some karate classes before you started this too? (laughs) Well, in the Coast Guard, I definitely have learned some things with like pressure points and uh, we we got to practice those. They're very effective. Like if you get the right pressure point down, just like (laughs) two seconds. But I think I wouldn't like in my mindset, I would rather be dead than with the guilt of killing someone else, even if it was, uh, you know, yeah, I don't know. That's just, that's where my head was at at the time. I would, I'd rather be dead than have to kill someone. So, wow. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Even if it was that, because truth, I mean, I still have this, maybe it will wear away when I'm older, but I still have this kind of naive thinking that um, we're all doing the best we can with what we have. And that even if someone was doing something like that towards me, they, there would be a reason behind it, like, you know, probably money or, abuse or trauma or you know what I mean like they generally I I believe in the best of people and of humanity and I probably wouldn't do some of these adventures if I did have that feeling that humanity is bad and out to get me because my next challenge is actually like uh, around the world journey and it will be um, cycling across South America and you know the Middle East and parts of Africa. And, and so, yeah, I, I, I would like, to, I'm very aware that there's risks. I'm very, and I, you know, mitigating those risks and potentially having support crew in certain countries. Um, but I, I, I still want to believe, believe and hope for the best. Yeah. I share a similar belief and I don't know. I mean, I, I've been, I've been in some very interesting situations where, it was hard to maintain that belief. Yeah. I'll be honest, like I've yeah. been in situations where, you know, I was part of slave camps. I've been in situations where it's just um, parts of South America. So I traveled through Ecuador and Peru for about three months. And I've seen a lot of things that I did not expect to see in over the course of a lifetime. Uh, people treated certain ways. I've seen people take advantage, but you, you're right. You know, you know, to a degree, it is all just the way that you choose to look at life. And I'm the same exact way. I, I really do try and give every single person the benefit of the doubt because I don't know what they're going through. I mean, they, them robbing me might be their only source of survival for that yeah. day. Yeah, They might have to feed 11 kids like who knows, right? What the circumstances are. 
And so I, I really just trying to reframe from judgment because I, I mean, who am I to judge to begin with? I, I only know one life and half the time, I don't even know what's happening. So it's like, I think a lot of those situations are um, interesting experiences to be a part of. But I like what you mentioned as far as having support groups in those, in those places that you're in. Yeah, I mean, ideally, I, I, I would be able to have people join. And, and I think funding is always something to consider. And I do like keeping a lot of my adventures grassroots because I, I like the idea of adventure being accessible, not elite, like you need that. So um, I, I think, you know, I'm a van lifer. I don't have to live in a van. I, I just, I minimalism that. is a big part of, you know, once you take things away, you could see what you want. Like you're not clouded by stuff. And truthfully, I don't think people think of possessions as time, but I think of possessions as time, time to find it, time to put it away, time to clean it, time to maintain it. And so if I don't really like it, I'm not going to waste my time on it. And I mean, it, it, it's becomes very clear in a van, like what you, what you need and don't need. And, um, but that's, that's helpful for me to see what, what my priorities are when stuff isn't, you know, I'm not weighted down by, by stuff, but do you have, do you have animals? I don't. Um, okay. cause I've I, wanted to actually once upon a time and still do explore the van life and just travel across the U.S. I have a dog, although yeah. I'm sure it's possible. I'm sure other people have done it. Yeah, for sure. I I think one, it depends on where you're traveling. The one hard thing about van life is temperature control. And so um, I have friends that do have animals in, in their van and they make it work. Um, I think you just have to make sure like, what's the size of your dog to make sure you have enough room for them to sleep. But Truthfully, I think a lot of dogs would love that. Like, and and, and um, there are ways to get air conditioning units in vans, but it usually only runs for a couple hours a day. It's very energy intensive. It's expensive, and I mean, if you're only able to use it a couple hours, what's the point? Like, it's it's a lot of work for, you know. And plus, our bodies adapt to temperatures quite well. Like, yeah. if you give it enough time. So, I yeah, I think. As long as you're not in too extreme of temperatures, I think that would be totally doable. Yeah. It might be something I got to look into again. You mentioned, you mentioned the book, or actually I mentioned the book. Uh, where could people find the book? Uh, so I have a website, Katie Spots. It's K-A-T-I-E. And do you have the projects on there as well that people can oh, directly yeah. contribute yeah. to as well? Yes, you can donate and then there's an impact tab. So it shows on Google Maps, every single project, how many people it helps. And I keep a running tally of like the, the number of projects and the uh, number of people. So you can, and then there's links to further information about the water project. So uh, there's lots of, lots of information there and ways to donate and buy the book there too. Oh. Mm. And outside of that, personally, where can people connect with you? The website, I'm on, social media? Uh, yeah, so katiespots.com or my Instagram is just at katiespots and Facebook is at, uh, at hello katiespots. <laughs>
Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, please consider subscribing to our future episodes so you can receive all of the latest content. Also, if you like what you heard, consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. Once again, we thank you for listening and we'll look forward to having you next time.